Minnesota. <laughs> hey, it is an honor to be here. Was anybody in the room yesterday? Raise your hand. Okay. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate the love. All right, I'm going to just, I'm going to share a little bit of what I shared yesterday, just so some of you, I'm going to catch you up a little bit, just so you understand, like, why, why is this topic so important, not only to me, but obviously you're here, so it's important to you as well. Um, but thank you so much. I am honored to be in this room. I'm honored to be able to share on the topic of mental health. I'm super passionate about it. I grew up in uh, the inner city. I, I grew up in Chicago. Any Chicagoans in the room? None. Okay, all Minnesota Minnesotans. I learned that I was saying Minnesotians, and that's not actually right. Minnesotans. Um, I grew up in Chicago. Um, I grew up in poverty. I grew up around a lot of gang violence, a lot of drug addiction. My parents were um, struggled with addiction growing up. I didn't say this yesterday, but I, I want to say this today because I, I appreciate you. A lot of times. Um, when we're in this situation, we're talking about mental health and we're talking about supporting other people in their mental health journey or in their journey in life when they're, they're having broken moments. Um, oftentimes we forget that God is in the, the work of redeeming people's lives. I grew up around dysfunction. I grew up with my parents struggling with addiction. My father passed away when I was four years old. And I remember as a little kid, when I gave my life to Jesus at 10 years old in a hallway of a church after Adopt-A-Block was done on my neighborhood, and I was invited to an after-school program, and I had no idea who Jesus was because that wasn't something that was presented to me. And these, these ministers presented the gospel of Jesus to me in a way that I could understand it, enough that I can understand it. And all I knew Jesus to be was safe because my home was not. And so... They presented the gospel of Jesus to me, and I gave my life to Jesus at 10 years old. And from that point, I prayed for my mom every single day. I just knew that if God could protect me and if he could cover me and put me in situations that would keep me safe and healthy, I knew that he could do something special with my mom's life. And I watched her struggle. And I am glad to say, I didn't say this yesterday, but I try to honor my mom everywhere I go because I love her. I think she's incredible, and she's incredibly strong. But she has been clean for almost 12, 13 years and has been living for Jesus ever since. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Let me just tell you, you're in this room. Many of you came in this room, one, because you're probably interested in the topic of mental health, or maybe you have somebody in your life that struggles with mental health. And you're like, how do, I, how do I help the people? How do I help the people in my church? How do I help my family members walk through this mental health journey? I will tell you one thing. I never gave up on the idea that if God can do it for me, he can do it for my mom too. And so when she gave her life to Jesus, while I was super excited, I wasn't surprised because I know who my God is. So I'm young. And I'm recognizing that what God has done in my own heart and what God is doing in my own life, God is also allowing me to stand in the gap for people who can't stand in the gap for themselves. And that is a beautiful gift that each and every one of us have, that we get to stand in the gap for people that just don't, they may not be able to do it right now. You know, at one point, I could have looked at my mom and said, I, I give up on you. You did not take care of us. You didn't do your job. You didn't do your end of the deal. But I knew that I had a call and a mission to pray and cover her. And when I did, it wasn't at the work of my hands. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that captured her heart. It was just a part of what we got to be a part of, and I love that. So that was just kind of a byline that was free. I didn't worry about that. I just wanted to share that little piece I didn't share yesterday. Um, but I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder shortly before my husband and I launched our church. We launched our church in 2017. Several years before that, 
I had some some moments where I was just struggling. I knew I was triggered by something, and I, I was having some highs and some lows, and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't explain it. And so I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after going through a series of counseling and psychiatrists and, and all of that. And so this topic became very important to me because it became personal. Now, at that time, I knew nothing about mental health. I, we weren't talking about it in church, and many of you probably know, and over the last few years is when this topic became kind of a big deal in our society, right? Not that it wasn't happening, not that people don't struggle with their mental health or have mental illness. It just became a little more okay to talk about. And I probably, and I don't want to give too much credit, but I think part of that is COVID made us face a reality that we all didn't want to face at once. We all were struggling with anxiety at the same time. I don't know about y'all, but I was sick of watching Gator Boys, okay? Like stuck in the house watching Gator Boys every day. It was not fun. But that's what we did. When you're struggling with anxiety all at once as, as an entire nation, because there's uncertainty, we didn't know what was going to happen next, we didn't know who was going to pass away, we didn't know if this thing was going to come to our homes personally. So we all collectively had a pause in life where we said, whoa, this is, this is a lot, a little bit of fear, anxiousness, what do we do with this? And then we all started looking at this idea of how do we help ourselves. So people started going to therapy. You probably notice in your communities that therapy became few and far between where you can get an appointment because everybody needed that extra help, right? And so it became a topic that we talked about. I don't think that it's just because it's a trending thing on social media. I just think that we're more aware. And we know our, the, the need. And some of us are just at such a frail place that we recognize that we just need more help. And that's okay. It's okay for us to need more help. Um, and so when I was diagnosed with bipolar, that wasn't a conversation that was had. Nobody told me that it was okay to, to talk about mental illness. And furthermore, I was a pastor. My husband and I were youth leaders, youth pastors at the time at a local church. And I just thought, man, I was going to disqualify myself before anybody else could. How could I be a pastor to students struggling with this? Because all I ever knew was and all people ever said when it came to depression or emotional issues, it's, isn't it funny how someone could have heart disease, you can have cancer, lung disease, any type of physical ailment, and we're going to cover you, we're going to pray, we're going to tell you to go see doctors, go take your medicine, do everything necessary. But when it comes to our emotional health, it is a sin issue. It is a matter of what you're not doing, and I'm just going to pray for you and hope that you get better that was the reality that I was facing. Here I am, pastor, diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I knew the stigmas around mental illness, and so it was not a topic that I wanted to bring up. And every once in a while, I kind of felt like, man, I don't want to live in the shadows. And I had to build up boldness and confidence in myself to, one, get the help that I needed, and, two, be able to talk so that I can find freedom. You know, that shame hides in secrecy. So it, it thrives in that environment. When, sh when, when you feeling shameful about something and you keep it a secret, all it's doing is amplifying it. So I could feel shameful about the issues that I was facing, like, oh, this is my fault. This is what I've done because of what I thought and what I assumed the church would say about my issues. Or I could stand up and say, you know what, this, I may have bipolar, but bipolar does not have me. So I'm going to stand up and say, you know what, I get freedom. I get to have freedom in this. And so I started talking about it. And I did get the emails. I got the emails from people that I was demon-possessed and that I had sin issues in my heart. And because I know people by the Spirit and people don't really know what to say sometimes, I could recognize that I don't have to take everything people say to me. I hear you, but I recognize by the Spirit that this is not accurate. 
I don't go around telling people that you have, I don't diagnose people, I don't tell you what you have to do, go take medicine, do X, Y, Z. I give you encouragement because I believe that God has done some great things in my heart. Now you get to take it and run with it wherever you want to go. But I will say there are some things and patterns that I had to do to get well. I couldn't just stand by and say, all right, I have it and this is it. Because I knew that God had purpose for my life. And I wanted to walk in that purpose. And so there are some things that if you're in this room doing hard things, that was a mantra that that I kind of lived by for a little bit. I can do hard things. I've done a lot of hard things. I've had to walk through a lot of hard things. But not just me, but many of you have walked in the room today wondering about your family members. How can you care for them? And today we're going to talk about how to support those we love on a mental health journey. I want to tell you a little bit about a conversation I had with my therapist recently. Um, I'm going to let you in on my therapy session. I have them a couple times a week, so you get invited to one. I had a conversation with her, and I was talking to her a little bit about what does it look like to support somebody on a mental health journey. Now, mind you, I have a family. I have two girls. They're amazing. And I have my husband, who's had to watch me walk this thing out. And so I know from my angle what it looks like for them to support me and what I've needed from them. But if you struggle with mental health in this room, if you have a mental illness and you're in this room, it's hard for you to imagine what your family members face trying to care for you when you don't speak up. And so I was asking my therapist, like, when I came into your office initially, what did I look like? How did I behave? What were the things that were coming out of my mouth about my family? And was I saying things that made it appear like they were not supportive? And sometimes that was the case, as if you're walking in and you don't know how to communicate what you need, and so it's everyone else's fault that you don't know how to communicate what you need. But I couldn't process all of the things that I needed in those moments. So I'm struggling, and I'm coming into her office, and I'm saying, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, and I need help. And my family is standing there, and they want to help me, but I don't know how to communicate it. Those are things that she and I had to grow in and learn. And processing these things with my therapist, she kind of walked me through what that process looked like. I'm going to give you guys some things that we had talked about. But first, I want to share a, a scripture with you that I feel like has been such an encouragement to me. It's found in Mark 2, verse 1 through 5. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to, since they could not get to, him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I love that passage of scripture. That narrative in scripture is pretty special. But here's some things I don't see in that text. I don't see the struggle it must have been to get this man carried to Jesus. I love to read texts and I love to like pick out, okay, I, obviously what I do see is four men taking this man on his mat who could not get, on his, get up on his own, taking him to Jesus. That's what we see in the scripture. What we don't see in the scripture is the struggle that must have been to get this man to Jesus. We don't see the struggle in tearing that roof down to get this man to Jesus. We don't see the questioning, the possible ridicule of others around watching this moment go down. Can you imagine 
like take your take your minds to this place because like this doesn't happen if somebody was tearing my roof off of my brand new home let me just tell you how I probably would not have the same response like insurance does not cover those kind of things right I can't imagine this scene in scripture where this man is lying on this mat who can't get himself up he can't really tell you exactly what he needs. I, I, I can only imagine how many people have walked past and saw this situation. And it took four of his friends. So that tells me not, I mean, if you got one mat, two people, maybe one down here, one down here, may be able to carry. So four men tells me he might have been a little bit heavy. I'm just saying. And then they're going to get to Jesus and they couldn't get in the door. So that also tells me that it's not just 20 people at someone's house and they're like, no, we ran out of room. We met capacity. So if you look around this room, we met capacity. It wasn't like this because there's still room in this, in this place. Imagine not being able to get to the room. So you have to literally figure out another way to get to Jesus. So these men had to think real quick on their feet. We're just going to dig a hole in this roof and we're going to make it happen. Climbing up someone's house. Okay, like, this just doesn't make sense, but it does, I guess, in the Bible. But really, climbing up someone's home, digging a hole in the roof with this man. So what did they do? They probably put him down. Okay, hold on one second. We got you. We're going to figure this out. We're going to get this together. We're going to dig a hole, okay? And then imagine Jesus preaching in the room, and all of you are in the room together, and this dust is just falling on our heads, right? And we're trying to figure out what is, what is going on. That's how desperate these men were to get their friend to Jesus. When I think about what we are called to do, whether you have somebody that has a mental illness, you yourself struggle day to day. We all have to manage our own mental health, right? So we're trying to make it every day. We're getting up in the morning, and I was walking, I was riding here uh, today, and it's pretty gloomy outside, right? You guys live here, so this is, I mean, you, you get this weather. You need to get on Amazon and get one of those little lights, the little, you know what I'm talking about? Whew! But it's gloomy outside, which affects your mood. Vitamin D is really good for your mood. So it's gloomy outside, and that affects you. I just can't imagine what the experience must have been like then. But this is what I feel like our call is. Our call is to be mat carriers. We're to be mat carriers. Think about that for a second. You may not feel like what you're doing as a support to your friends and your family when they're walking through is good enough, is big enough, but we're called to be mat carriers. The people that need you to carry their mat to Jesus, that's why you're here. That's what we're called to do. And not just when it comes to mental health, but I think as Christians, as witness bearers to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're called to be mat carriers. This man in the text was the one that generally gets all the fame, right? Because he came in one way. And he left completely healed. So he gets pretty much all the clout when it comes to the story. You hear this story and like this man, he was paralyzed and then Jesus healed him and boom, like whole situation. But what I want to focus on are these four friends who don't probably get that much fame. I want to focus on those of you who walked in the room today and you want to support people in your life. And you think that it's not significant. You think that what you're doing is not enough. You're not helping them enough. Let me just tell you how beautiful your faith is for somebody that's struggling. I can bear witness to that because 
I have people in my life that had to be mat carriers for me. It takes a team. It takes a family. It takes faith of others to bring you to Jesus sometimes. There are days where I can't possibly get out of my bed. My husband, my children, my mentors, mat carriers. Where they walk in sometimes and I get that cute little eight-year-old face that walks in and wants eggs for breakfast. And I can't say no. Y'all moms know what I'm talking about. Like you just, you can't say no when they're cute and they smile and they're like, I need you. I can't say no, mat carrier. Because in that moment, I need to not be stuck. I need to be a mom. Those of you who think that you have to have the responsibility of doing these ginormous things, I got to drive them to every appointment. I got to do all the things. Really, it doesn't take all of that. I know that they use a bit of creativity and ingenuity. But sometimes it looks like reminding people of how loved they are. Sometimes a mat carrier is, you know, my 11-year-old who wants to go shopping and she knows that's like literally my favorite thing to do. And she'll come in, mom, you want to go to Target? Some days I don't feel like it. Some days my mind cannot even process what she's even saying. But because she's a mat carrier in my life and she's somebody that at that very moment I need you to need me, to be a mom. That's what we're talking about here today. I have some mentors um, that are very special to me. When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, my husband and I were at a local church and we were serving faithfully there. And I remember this lady, she was in the church office. She served behind a desk. Nobody really knew her name, but I remember anytime I would come into the office, to come and visit my husband or to do any admin work, I would see this lady at her desk right before the day started and she'd have her Bible open. I didn't know her name at the time. We were kind of new, but I see her with her Bible open and I'm like, I love that so much. (laughs) She's older than me and I needed some spiritual mentors and, and guides in my life, but I didn't know anybody and I was pretty introverted. So I didn't really say anything. I just watched her for months, watched her. I paid attention when I would walk in and she would be at her desk reading her word. Or if anybody needed prayer, she'd be the first one to lay hands on them. You know, when there there were prayer calls called out, she would be the one calling. And so I paid attention to her and I, I watched the things that she did. And she wasn't like in the crowd and knew a bunch of people and all of that. But she was a lady in the office that I just saw going after Jesus. And so one day I went in and I said, I'm going to do the most awkward thing I've ever done before and invite you to coffee because I don't, I'm I'm this 23-year-old youth pastor who, you know, sometimes we think we know it all, but we don't. And I didn't want to be the type that was empty. I wanted to have depth. And so I asked her to coffee. And from that moment on, we met every week for coffee. And then we started meeting on Fridays and we would just dig into the word. And she was like, you're going to read Esther, you're going to read Luke. We're reading like chapters. Like it was, it was a big deal. She became a mentor and then a spiritual mom to me and my children and my husband. And let me just tell you, several years after we met, I was diagnosed with bipolar. God knew what he was doing in that season. Because had I been diagnosed before that, it would have been a very isolating situation for me. And so what God did was he prepared me a couple years in advance with somebody that would mother me, that would love me well and walk with me through that season and become a mat carrier for me. Her and her husband became such pivotal parts of my journey. They were there the day I was diagnosed. They sat with me and wept with me. 
they were there the times that I had to go to the hospital because I thought there were moments that I just wasn't going to make it. They were there. They came and visit me. They were there when medication changes happened and my body just didn't adjust too well to that. They were there when I couldn't get out of bed and my kids needed to go to school. They were there to make meals for us. They helped us launch our church. They prayed for us. They loved us through it. As a matter of fact, I texted her last night and told her I was going to be presenting this morning, and she was there again praying and covering me. Let me tell you, as, as a mat carrier, it's special what you do. I had somebody that had my front and my back, that when somebody would walk in the room and I felt antsy or anxious, she knew to come and just swoop me away. She can look at the, the look on my face when there are days where I'm struggling and knew exactly what I needed in those moments. And sometimes it's not going to come as easy as that, but I'll tell you what a special gift it is to have people in your corner that just won't give up on you, even when it looks messy. We're scared of messy sometimes. We're scared of dirt because we are in church and it's supposed to look pretty, right? How many of you have been in church for most of your life? A lot of you, right? So we, we know how to do church. We just know how to do it. And I'm not saying that, like, we're just being pretend. I love that I've been in church since I was a 10-year-old. I love that I've learned so much about not just church culture, but foundationally my faith was built in a community of, of church. But we've learned some things how to do church when it comes to our brokenness. When someone says, how are you doing? What's our first response? Oh, y'all professionals. Yes. But that's, it's ingrained in us to respond with I'm good. Why, why is it ingrained in us to respond that way? Because we don't really believe that people want to know how we're doing. People ask us how we're doing. We're like, we're good. Because are you really going to pause for a second and, like, listen to me say, no, I'm not good? Actually, let me tell you about, let me tell you about this one thing that happened last night. I got a whole story, right? No one's, like, you're not really going to do that. But why? But that's why you have the support people around you. You know, if you have somebody in your life that is struggling with mental health, mental illness, it's hard to articulate sometimes in the moment what you're feeling. But to have a mat carrier, somebody around you that knows you, you ain't got to explain. I just know. I would walk in on a Sunday morning. I lead worship at our church. If you couldn't guess, by the way, that I kind of did that worship transition yesterday. I'm a worship leader. <laughs> I try to tame myself, but it's hard. It is what it is. Um, but I lead worship at our church. And there'd be Sundays I would come in. And I just know sometimes because of the state of my mental health, now I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. I practice healthy habits so that I'm, I'm doing all the things that I need to to get well. However, life happens, right? So I walk in on a Sunday morning, and if I'm struggling on a Sunday, I know you got to put your best foot forward. You're going to get home in a couple hours, and it's, you can lay down, you can rest, you whatever. But when you have somebody that knows you well, that can walk up to you and just say, just let me hold your hand for a second. Let me just pray over you for a second. Let me give you a hug for just a second. Those moments mean so much more to me than me just having to fake it till I make it. Let me just be. You know, we, we launched our church, which I was talking about this yesterday, but when we launched our church, it was great because we got to put a stamp on what we wanted that thing to be like. You know, you, when, you're, when you launch a church, you kind of get to establish some identity and culture. When, I, when we launched our church, I just felt like I did not want to live 
in a shadow. I didn't want to live in this shameful place where I have to keep everything quiet. I knew how you're supposed to behave in church. But I also know that not everybody's going to be like me that walk in our church. Not everybody has been saved most of their life. Not everybody in the church has come from church culture. There's going to be people that walk in our churches that literally are struggling with the same exact thing you're struggling with, but you just haven't talked about it. What people, what I've learned over time is that especially millennials and, and in this season, people want authenticity and vulnerability. It, it, no longer do we need to, oh, oh, hallelujah, great, God is good. awesome, he is, he is so faithful, he is so good, but we also need to be honest, like, we're struggling, we're not all perfect. If we're afraid to show the real of who we are, sometimes it's hard for people to relate. It's hard for people to come into our churches and relate because we're, everybody has it all together. How are you doing? I'm good. What about the person that walks in that's not good? They have to respond the same way? Do they have to say they're good too, or do they have permission in your spaces to say that they're not good? So when we're mat carriers, when we're walking with people in our life, we know how to respond when brokenness, when people walk in broken. When I respond to people, when they tell me that they're having a hard time, I'm really sorry you're going through that. I don't feel like I need to be the fixer. I don't have to fix the problem in the moment. Sometimes people just want you to listen. So your family members and your friends that may be struggling there's some things that I feel like we get to do, and then I'm going to share some things that maybe we shouldn't do. If you're taking notes, here's some things that I think you can write down, which I think the, these are from my therapist, so this is free therapy right here, okay? And I give her credit. Things you should do as a mat carrier, as somebody who's looking to support people that struggle with mental illness, mental health, things you should do. Do educate yourself. Your loved one is struggling and may not be able to articulate the fullness of the struggle. Educate yourself. Find some resources that's going to help you understand what they're walking through. I mean, ask a lot of questions. You know, Google is great, and then so are doctor's offices, and so are books. I have a, a list of books that I will give you at the end that have been super helpful in my journey, but educate yourself by any means necessary. It's great to empathize, but it's even better if you know what you're empathizing with. My name is Brittany, and I have bipolar disorder. Most people don't know how to respond to that. I'm not telling you to give me any clinical anything. I have, I have therapists and psychiatrists for that. I don't need you to be my doctor. I don't need you to do any of that. But sometimes it's always good to have a knowledge base of what you're referring to, because most people, when I say that, they think about what they saw on Law & Order SVU. It's true. They think of, oh, you must have an attitude in a few minutes and you, you, you're, you're going to be good. And it's not like that. Maybe that way for other people. That's not been my experience. And so most people get their knowledge base when it comes to mental illness from what they've seen on shows or watched on social media. TikTok cannot be your education system. <laughs> Just saying. Okay? Like, it's like... You watch these quick videos, and it's like, yeah, that's, I saw that on, do not tell me you saw it on TikTok, okay? Find some other resources. But educate yourself, and it, it means a lot to your family to take interest. When someone says they're struggling, I typically try to listen first, and then if I understand a little bit more, then I know kind of what I'm dealing with and how I can process with you. Or maybe you just need to talk, and that's fine too. But I want to make sure I'm not blindsided 
by what you're referring to. Now, there's so many diff. It's broad. I'm specifically talking about if you're walking with something, someone in your life that is suffering from a mental illness, mental health issues, and you know that they're suffering and they're asking you for help. They're reaching out for help. Educate yourself so you know how to help them. That is such a gift that you can offer your family members. It tells them that you're invested in what they're walking through. My husband, who is the happiest man on earth, what you see is what you get with him. He is, if you've ever met my husband, he gets on stage, he preaches a fire message, but he is like that same amplified person every day of the week. He's happy all the time. He loves life. And then bipolar hit our family. So now you're super happy, glass half full, just went, right? The greatest gift that my husband gave me was saying, I'm going to go to therapy because I need to understand what's happening here. And not just for you, but for me too. So not only do we both go to therapy, we go together so that we can make sense of, because you're, you're two different people trying to learn this, this thing, this bear of a thing. So the gift that he gave me was trying to figure out how to help me, how to walk with me, how to love me through it. He didn't, he didn't try to fix me, but just trying to partner with me so we can walk this thing out together. So it's not me walking through it and you're just like, all right, well, I know you're having a bad day. I'll come back later. No, we're walking through it. We're a family. Number two, do have grace and patience. Do have grace and patience. I know that's hard um, because if you ever dealt with anybody that struggled with mental health, you know that. Sometimes it's the same thing over and over again. They can't help it. It's just a part of the chemical imbalance in your brain. So same thing over and over again. So it's hard to have patience sometimes. It's hard to give grace, especially if someone, and they're so, it's so broad. So mental illness, which is a disorder, mental health is what we all manage each day, how to manage our stress and all of that. But if you're dealing with someone that has mental illness, it is so broad. There's so many different mental illnesses, and depending on, each person is going to look different, right? So you may have some that lash out in anger, and I'm telling you to have patience and grace. How do I do that when they're frustrated and angry all the time? That's something that it's like Jesus is our source, right? So we're saying, Lord, I need you to fill me so that I know how to love well. That doesn't mean you're bypassing. That doesn't mean you're ignoring. That doesn't mean you're dismissing. People can manage. Their, I know for me personally, I don't allow mental illness to let me behave badly. I cannot blame my poor choices on bipolar disorder. I do have the will and I do have the, the understanding that I get to make choices every day of the week. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I feel like, man, in an instant you could just make a poor decision. However, I'm not going to allow this thing to control every moment of my day. So I'm going to learn some things along the way. So as family members and friends, Matt Carriers, let me just tell you, grace and patience is a gift from Jesus, and you are amazing. But I think he can do it. He can give it to you. And so having grace and patience is really going to be a prayer point for you. Lord, give me what I need so I can love well and I can lead well and I can have the grace and the patience to love my family through something that we both are trying to make sense through. That makes sense? Number three, do love them. I know that's like common knowledge, right? It really is. But when you're frustrated, when someone's doing something over and over, it's almost like you want to throw in the towel sometimes. But continue to love. That's what's going to lead this thing. Continue to love. Number four, do ask questions. 
you don't have to walk on eggshells. I know it feels like that sometimes. You got to be thoughtful about when you're asking questions in those moments and, and what questions to ask. But ask questions. If you don't understand, just ask. Hey, right now, you know, my husband would, right now I don't know what you need. So this is what I shared yesterday. When you are at your best, when you are feeling great, we tend to think when we're feeling great, we're not going to take our medicine, we're not going to do this. I feel awesome. I'm going to be great, right? When I'm at my best, I make practical steps and tell my husband, hey, this is how you care for me. Because the day that I'm not feeling great is going to come. It's going to happen. I'm not going to have a good day at some point. I don't know when, but it is what it is. So when I am at my best, use that time to tell people what you need. You use that time to ask the questions. You know someone is at a really good spot, the person that you're caring for and loving, they're at a good spot. Hey, ask questions. Hey, when you're not feeling great, what do you need from me? How can I love you? How can I process things? Do you need to talk or do you need to just be quiet? Do you want me to plan things or do you need to lay low? Ask questions so that you know and you're not walking on eggshells to care for the people you love. Because that's no fun for anybody. Now you're living in your home and you feel like it's a prison because you're trying to love and care and have grace for people, but you're constantly not knowing what to do. So ask questions. Number five, do make presence a priority. Make your presence a priority. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to say, I can't do this. I'm not saying that you need to be boxed in and every day of the week needs to be caring for someone else. But I do know that having people around me, having my people, not all the people, but my people, my husband, my children, my mentors around, it makes a world of a difference because I know that if I'm, even if I'm not feeling at my best, I know I could easily just fall into whatever they're doing if they're present. But when they walk away, I get isolated. I will stay in my room all day. It's dark. So being present is going to be really, really powerful. Number six. I think that's number six. Do remind them of purpose. God can still use them. God can still work a miracle through their life. God created them. Therefore, he has a plan and a purpose for their existence. I have a, a, a friend in my life right now who I've been, um, we've been friends for the last three, four years. And I remember this particular person when I first met them, I remember them saying to me, and it's, I say friend, but really it's, it's turning into a friendship because I'm almost at the end of the journey working with them as a professional. But um, I remember at the beginning of me working with this individual several years ago in 2019, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder that probably all kind of goes together in some way. That's just a longer conversation, but you can kind of put your minds together. I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, very, very debilitating. I didn't know it happened really, really quickly. Um, And I mean, I struggled to the point where I was blinded by it, Uh, had to be hospitalized for a season for it. And I remember getting to the hospital and them saying, your body is that of a four-year-old. I didn't even know I was at that point. You wouldn't, I mean, you just kind of. I just kind of living, you know, doing what I thought was going to help me to manage all the other things. And so I had this, this friend in my life who was walking with me during that season. And I remember the first time we met, she reminded me of the purpose that God had in my life. He's not done with you. She said it to me all the time. 
It won't always look this way. It won't always be this way. God's not done with you. Now, I'm working with her as a professional at this time, trying to get, and I'm like, okay, like you're, you're just so glossy from what you're walking through. So I hear what she's saying, but I'm thinking that she's believing it way more than I could believe it because here I am walking through mental illness, now another thing, right? So I felt like, whoa, man, I'm, I'm going backwards in a way. And every day she would remind me of my purpose. I would see her multiple times a week, and then I would talk to her on the phone, and she would remind me every day of the purpose that God had in my life. And it's funny because I think a year and a half ago, probably more like almost two years ago, the first time I publicly talked about this was probably at Thrive. So it was a year ago, almost a year ago. is when I publicly first talked about this. And what's interesting about that is that I'm standing on stage talking about the very thing that she spoke life into years before. It, it didn't register in my mind until after I got off the stage and I'm like, whoa, I didn't think I'd be talking about that in front of thousands of women. Like, you know, it's not super popular. And I remembered that she spoke purpose in times and seasons of my life where I didn't even see purpose. You know, I talked about disqualifying myself when it came to bipolar because it wasn't something I talked about, but people on my, in my church and I led worship and I'm standing on stages and they're watching me shrink. So it wasn't only just struggling with this eating disorder, but it was embarrassment because people are watching it happen in real time. And as I'm standing on the stage and I get off and I'm looking, I'm like, wow, I needed somebody to speak purpose over my life. I needed somebody to remind me that God was doing something, even in the brokenness, even when I couldn't see it in that season. Now, I had to do the hard thing of going to get the help. I had to do the hard thing of making the effort to get whatever I need to get out of that and to work through it and, and seeing my dietitian, seeing all the people that I need to see in those moments. But I needed somebody to speak purpose in my life when I couldn't see it for myself. So when I say remind them of purpose, I am, I started my treatment process in 2019. It is 2022. I am a way different person than I was in 2019. My mindset's different. My heart's different. I know how to manage stress and manage my emotions different. So much has changed, but I needed somebody to remind me that God still had a purpose even when I couldn't see it. That God still had a purpose when it looked like everything around me was crumbling. The embarrassment, the shame. When that made me feel like I was this big, every day she would remind me, God has a purpose for your life, for this. And now I stand in front, in front of people all the time and talk about this very purpose. And it blows my mind because somebody, it wasn't just me finding this will one day and saying, I'm just going to have purpose and stand on stage and talk to thousands. Somebody had to speak that thing into existence. I needed Matt Carriers to say, I'm not going to let you give up. I know you want to give up. I know you want to be done with this. I know you are embarrassed and you are ashamed, but I'm not going to let you give up. God has a greater purpose for you. That is what you are called to do. Remind the people in your world and in your life that God has a greater purpose. That he's going to do something special with the brokenness. That even if it's you that's in this room and you walked in here today and you thought you were going to hear a patty cake sermon about mental illness, let me remind you today that God has purpose for you too. Maybe you're a pastor and you're afraid to talk about the struggles, the dirt in your own life, the issues that you face on a regular. God has purpose. If you would relinquish that to him, if you would submit that thing to him, if you would allow God to bring healing to it, 
if you would submit yourself to some leadership and go to therapy and get the help you need. I did all the necessary things because I had tools that I was offered, but then I also had people saying there's purpose behind it and God's going to do something with it. Do remind them of the promises of God, that when you are weak, he is strong. Though they may walk through the valley, the valley is not their permanent residence. I think that's the one that stuck with me the most that, you know, sometimes you feel like you're walking through dark places that you're just going to be there. When somebody stamps you with an illness, you think that is, okay, this is going to be my life. I don't receive that in Jesus' name at all. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal me. I'm still believing that today. And while I'm waiting on my healing, I'm going to do all the things necessary. But let me just tell you that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is not my permanent home. Remind the people in your life that they may walk through darkness, but it is not permanency. It may feel like it. It may feel real, real gloomy, but it is not your permanent residency. Whether that's words for you or for somebody in your life, it is not permanency. And remind them that he will never leave them or forsake them. There are moments where I felt at my lowest, I felt the most alone. I felt I could be surrounded by so many people. And I felt like, man, I have never, I just put my life out there. You know, now everybody could take it and do whatever they want to do with it. I just know that in any of those places, in any of the places of my life where I felt like I was by myself, I know that the spirit of God is right there with me. And I know that that could be like such a cliche for us sometimes, but if you have ever been through a dark moment, you've made it. I'm looking at you right now, so let me just remind you that you've made it through every dark moment of your life because I'm looking at you. You don't probably feel like you've made it, but you've made it because you're here. So when I say he will never leave you nor forsake you, that's real because you're standing here today because you've never, he's never failed you and you've made it through every dark moment. I'm going to let that settle for you for just a second. He is so faithful. You know, I, I, I get the opportunity to do this often. And when I stand on stages and I talk about the power of God, like it probably seems like I just, man, you just go for it. Let me just tell you, it does come with a cost. But at the same time, I love bragging about my God. I love it. I love it. You know why? Because I remember the days where I was not well. It still to this day brings tears to my eyes watching my kids come in and them seeing me at my worst. But I love Jesus so much and I love that I am not alone. I love that the power of God is always with me. I love that in the moments where I felt so broken and so like just man the the world is crumbling before me. I felt like I was in the pit that God has always been present. And so when I get the opportunity to do whatever it is, I could be talking to five people about this. I love it because I'm getting to brag on God because of how good he is. So the people in your circles that might be struggling, remind them that God is not finished with them yet. Maybe that's for you. Maybe there's things in your own heart you haven't talked about. I don't know who you are, where you are, but just know that God is not finished with your story yet. He's still writing parts of your story even now. I love that scars tell stories of healing. 
right? So like, you know, you have a kid that, that's had an open wound and they come in from playing outside and the one thing they want you to do is fix it, put a Band-Aid on it, right? I have, I have two girls and one of them is just a loose cannon, okay, my youngest. It's always the second one that's like so out of control sometimes. But she is so fun because she will do all the adventurous things that my, my, my oldest, I remember having to make her go outside and play in dirt. Like, we're going to go play in the dirt. Like, just touch it. It's okay. And then my youngest is like, dirt pies, it's great. You want to eat one? Like, that's how the difference between the two of them. But she would come in with getting cut at the playground, screaming, crying, and will tell me they were jumping on the this, and they jumped off, and somebody climbed up, and then they fell, and they, you know, all of that, telling me the full story. It's an open wound at the time. But then we put a Band-Aid on it. We put all the things on it, and it heals. And then you come back later, and she's telling her friends about the wound, the scar. She's telling them how I got the scar. The scar came because I was jumping, and remember the friend outside, and we were, like, kickboxing, and I swung on the thing, and then we jumped down. Now she gets to tell a story that only healing can write because the scar, the wound, it healed. You're going to experience those moments with the people that you walk with. It may not look like what you think it's going to look like. It may not feel like, and the timing may not be what you think it's going to be like. But one day, they're going to be telling stories that only healing could write. I'm telling stories of my own journey, and, and I have not arrived yet. There's not been a point. I still i am going to leave this session in a little bit, and guess what? The moment I walk out that door, I still have bipolar disorder. But I'm still telling a story of healing because I'm walking in the healing I want to see. I'm not just standing back. I'm saying, God, I know that you're going to fully, completely heal me. But until then, healing looks like going to a therapist. It looks like going to my psychiatrist. It looks like, for me personally, taking my medication. It looks like making sure I'm meeting with mentors. It looks like having fun. It looks like getting outside in the sun. And for you, it looks like getting the sun things from Amazon. It doesn't look like sun out there. Sometimes it looks a little bit different. I'm going to speed through these next few things, what not to do, and then we're going to do some Q&A for a few minutes. The first thing, don't police them. Let the professionals do the policing. You just be the support. What not to do. Don't think you know it all. You won't. It's okay. I don't either. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. We don't know it all. We're going to know a little bit. We're going to find out. We're going to educate ourselves. But don't feel like you have to have the pressure of knowing it all to help somebody. It's okay to say I don't know, but I love you anyway. And I want to walk with you if you allow me to. Don't let their struggle become their identity in their eyes or in yours. They don't equal their struggle. You don't equal your struggle. I talk about mental illness a lot. I'm very passionate about it because it is a part of my story. However, that is not my full identity. This is a part of my story, just a teensy part of my story. I've experienced trauma as well, but that's not who I am. It's not my identity. It's a teensy part. I'm Brittany Jones. I'm a mom of two. I love to dance. I love to have a good time. I'm married. I have a golden doodle I didn't tell you guys about. I'm so much more than this illness. Don't let it become their identity. It will swallow people if all we label them as is their illness. Can you imagine going up to a cancer patient and say, hey, that's uh, cancer. No, that's Mary. Don't let it become their identity. Don't pressure them to do what you think is best. Encourage, don't push. Unless it's a 911 situation, encourage. No pressure. Hey, I have some resources for you. I love you enough to just offer these. If you want, I can go with you. I've gone to a lot of doctor's appointments with people. If you need me to walk with you, and go. that's how we approach those things. We don't push it. We don't need that type of pressure. 
It's a lot of decisions to be made, scary worlds when you're navigating this. And so don't pressure, don't push, but offer resources. Don't be discouraged. You're learning and you're doing a really good job. You know, the first, the first way I know you're doing a good job is because you showed up to a class like this. To know, understand, what, what is this thing? You're learning. You're doing a great job. And don't give up on the idea that it will and it can get better. In the next few moments, I'm going to take a few questions. I hope that helped you. I hope that was encouraging to you. Um, and we'll take a few questions and then, uh, yeah. How do you show up well when you don't feel well? How do you show up well when you don't feel well? That's a great question. Well, part of it is we talked about mat carriers, right? Now, that's not my whole. I have practiced healthy habits when I am well so that when I'm not well, I can move in healthy ways. So that looks like every day I'm, I'm good today, right? So I do my normal thing and get up. I, I read. I listen to worship music on full blast. If you're in my hotel, you probably heard some Maverick City playing this morning. Um, I start my day the same way every single day. And I go through these patterns. I have my therapy appointments I don't miss. I have my, my dietitian appointments I don't miss. I go to my psychiatrist I don't miss. So there are patterns in my life. Now, these aren't like daily things, you know. But there are patterns in my life that I do on the regular, that I practice when I'm healthy. So the day where I don't feel good, it's like, no, this is it's on the calendar. You got to do it. And sometimes it takes a little pushing of myself, like you got to get out of bed. But like I said, I have my little people. So they come in the room and, Mom, I need eggs. Well, okay, now I got to get up out of bed. Maybe you don't have children and that's not going to be your thing. But if you practice healthy habits when you're well, when you're not well, you're a robot. It's okay to be a little robotic if you're not feeling well. You're doing healthy things so that it's not as tough. If you don't have healthy habits right now, it's going to be tough when you're not feeling great. You'll just stay stuck. So I would just, even when I feel at my best, I could go through a season with this illness and feel amazing. And most people have the tension of wanting to stop all of their practices. The tension is because I feel great. I don't need this medicine or I don't need this thing. I don't need to go to therapy. I'm good. Like, let's take a season off. I could say that. I'm, I'm at the healthiest place of my life. However, I know that there will be a day that I won't feel great. So I just keep those. Now, like, my therapist is, I mean, we could have a 30-minute conversation, whereas before we had an hour. Now we could do 30 minutes. If I'm feeling great, hey, let's just do check-ins. How are you doing? How are you feeling? When I'm traveling, that's not, that's, that's not something I stop doing. I'm in my hotel on Zoom with my therapist because it's important to me to have those patterns in place. So I would say just practice healthy habits when you are great so that when you're not great, that's already a rhythm in place in your life. Does that help? Yeah. Um, you were talking about people with disabilities. Have you um, ever talked to people with disabilities in your life? Do I know any people in my own life? I do. Um, we, so I didn't say this earlier. When, I, when we started our church, we started, I knew that I just did not want to be, um, I didn't want to live in the background. I knew what my illnesses were, and I didn't want to, like, keep that a super secret because then you just kind of live in that isolation and shame, right? So I, I, we talked about it a lot in our church, and what we found is that when you are the first one to step up and say, me too, you'll find that there's tons of other people that struggle. They just were waiting for somebody to say, I need help. 
right? So what we started doing is offering counseling in our, for our church. We don't do it in-house. My husband and I are not therapists. That's not what we do. And so we, we partner with a local Christian counseling agency in our community, and we said anybody in our church that attends our church, if you're struggling with mental illness, if you're struggling, just you just need somebody to talk to, our church will pay for the first three sessions. And so what we thought would be a couple ended up being hundreds of people that saying we need help. You're going to find that a lot of spaces that you're in, and I'm not saying that you, you have to have some, some understanding of how much, I don't share every piece of my story. I know exactly what I need to share, and I know what's dear to me and my family. I want to honor my family well, too, so I don't say everything there needs to be said. But when you say certain things and you share your me too, you say, hey, like, I'm struggling as well. It's not a perfection, you know. When you say those things, it relates to people and it gives them an open door to say, man, I, I need help as well. Can you lead me? A week? So we give lots of resources. Um, we make sure that people know, hey, this is this is okay for you to go. My husband and I were the first ones. We go to counseling. It's okay. And so for people to say, you're pastors, you go to counseling? Yeah, we do. We go to counseling. And, that's, and we don't feel ashamed of it. So I, I speak to a lot of people because I see them come through our church a lot. And then, you know, I, because I travel a bit, I get to talk to a lot of people from different spaces. But mostly just in our community, they just know, like, hey, you come, you're going to get what you need. I'm probably not going to be the one to give it to you, but we'll, we'll make sure you have the resources you need. How do you approach someone with mental illness? Like you can see them struggling, but they kind of deny it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how do I approach somebody that's struggling and they deny it, but you notice it? That was trying to say. All right. So for me personally, I we were talking about patterns yesterday about, you know, I could tell. And I'll, I'm just going to tell you from my perspective from people in my church because, I mean, they know. I use them as examples all the time. Um, <laughs> so they, if I see somebody come in. And I've known them personally. I know their, their, their life. Now, this is not going to be that you can do with everybody. But I'm assuming this is somebody that you know, right? I know because I've watched your behavior and I've watched your patterns, whether or not you're struggling with mental health, you're having a rough day, like, I can understand that. But if I could tell some patterns, I just pay, pay attention to patterns. How are you walking in? What does your affect look like? Like, what is your face? How is your body language? And then I ask questions. Now, if people don't want the help, I don't pressure people to take help. I'm going to offer you the resources that I have. I'm going to encourage it heavily. Hey, I really think that you should possibly, here's a number I have. This is my person. And I use that a lot. Hey, this is the, my personal counseling agency that I go to. They're well-trusted in our area. I would encourage you to go. And as a matter of fact, our church will pay for the first couple if you want to go. I just think it would be a good idea for you to talk to someone. I, I would love, and I'm going to always be here. I love you, but I can't help you with this piece. And I think that you're struggling a little bit. Now, if they deny that, that's up to them. You love them. You don't walk away and say, forget you then. You said no to my help. I'm not going to help you. It's just I cannot force somebody to get the help. Now, you'll know if you've ever been around anybody with addictions or any type of struggle, it's going to be when they are ready. Same thing when it comes to mental health. Now, there's some of the things, you know, I would say if you feel like they're a threat to themselves or someone else, and that's more of when you get others involved in that conversation. However, if it's just a behavior thing that you're seeing, some patterns in their life, you can offer the help, you offer the resources, and then they can do with it what they want. And you just have that, that ministry of presence. I'm here, but I'm not. You allow yourself to release yourself from the idea that you have to always be on call for people who don't want help. Sometimes people just 
want to vent to you and they don't want to work through the process. Because I'm very honest with our church, I'm like, hey, listen, I went through a whole lot. I've been through the hospital. I've been through all the things, right? So they know, like, I've modeled it for you. I've modeled for you what it's like to get help when you need help and do it. And it feels a little bit hard and it's, it's a little bit embarrassing for me as your leader. But I did the hard thing so that you know that it's okay for you to do the hard thing. Because on the other side of that is freedom. And so you can offer the help, but I would not force the help. And then release yourself from feeling like, man, I got to make sure they're okay all the time. If, they're gonna, if they have the card that you gave them, they have the number, the resources, when they're ready to reach out, they'll reach out. Yeah. Anyone else? What if the uh, medication that was given to you gives you a foggy personality foggy mind and you just can't take it but you have according to somebody that we know that you have to take your medication little by little and it will it will get better yeah. is that true yes <laughs> medication is uh i mean you guys take tylenol probably some of you take tylenol or motrin for headaches or whatever you all know that you could take one and may not do it, right? So you take another one or whatever. Medication is a little tricky, and it, it's a lot with body types and blood types and all of those things. I'm no doctor, but I will tell you from my personal experience, I went to several doctors, and I had to do several different medications before we got to the right one. When you struggle with mental illness, you just are on a ride to figure out what's going to help you, and you got to stay on it until it gets better. I literally started on one thing. And now I'm on something totally different. And when I started, I'm like, oh, man, the side effects. My brain felt foggy. I felt worse before I felt better. But if you stay on the ride for a little bit, it does get better. Most people give up when it starts getting weird. So when I started taking medication, and now this is probably some of you are going to be like, I'm dismissed from this conversation because I'm not going to take medicine. That's totally fine. I'm just saying that if you decide, this is what your doctors have decided and to answer your question. Medication was brought into the scenario, Right. When I started taking medication, I was, man, there were some side effects that I'm like, whoa, I cannot do this. I mean, I felt sick, you know, and then there are days where I felt loopy. And I advocated for myself. Hey, this isn't doing it. This is not working. I don't like this. This makes me feel. And you give it a while. Your doctors will tell you. Give it a couple weeks and then whatever. And depending on your doctor, you just got to ask lots of questions. So I would say don't give up on it. You got to give yourself some time, ask your doctors a lot of questions, and then advocate for yourself. I don't just let people hand me stuff and say this is going to work. That's just not, I want to ask lots of questions. I want to know all the things. And no, I know, I don't know everything that's in a Tylenol. However, I do know that if I'm going to be putting this in my life for a long time every single day, I want to know what it's going to do to me, how I'm going to feel, what is it supposed to do, and I want to know all the side effects. I want to know all the things I need to know before I make a commitment. And then, when I make the commitment, just know that the first couple weeks is just, it's adjusting to my body. And so it's just not going to feel like I'm just this normal, on this normal level. And then it does pace out and you, you get well. So I've, I've started taking medication several years ago. And I am in a better place than I ever have been. But it took a lot of different tries of, of different things. It wasn't just one set thing. This is so good. I think we could probably take questions for hours. I know. But, um, Brittany, this is so good. There's a lot of mat carriers in this room and a lot of people on mats in this yeah, room. For sure. 
And so it's so good. And you have to make the choice to be both, I think. You have to be the choice, make a choice to be a mat carrier, and you have to make a choice to get on somebody's mat, too. So this was so, so good. Brittany, this is so valuable. Let's give her a big round of applause. Yes. Thank you.